Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Gosh, it's so exciting to be here um, at this time in your history. And thank you, Rick, for your welcome. It's just been lovely to get to know some of you uh, so far just over Zoom, but now in person, um, which is fantastic. And what a great day to be here. And I'm especially looking forward to that joke over lunch, I think. Um, So that's just a bonus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special day. We thank you for Vicky and Jessica and Talonica. We thank you for all you're doing in this community, the move of your spirit leading this community uh, to seek you in a deeper way. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you promise that those who ask and seek and knock will be filled to the fullness with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that for us this morning. Amen. I'm really honoured to be here today, and it is really exciting to be with you all. It's a historic moment um, in the life of your church, and I believe in this city in some ways. I don't want my talk... Oh, we've got a reading. Do I read the reading? 1 Peter, I'll read it. But now I've only got... Oh, there we go, perfect. Uh, let Let me read the reading first and then we'll speak. So I've chosen the reading uh, from 1 Peter 5, 1 to 11, which is Peter's address as an elder to uh, the elders in the church. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety onto him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
I chose that reading, obviously, because it's an address um, to elders. I also know that today this is about welcoming women onto the board of elders. And I don't want the talk to be just about women or even just to the women being installed today. I certainly don't want it to be about women in opposition or even in distinction from men. I want to speak to you as a whole church with men, women, children who are embracing these women today as your elders and what this means for them and for you. But I think I do want to mention just one thing that affects women, perhaps especially in an evangelical context, but to be honest, probably in the whole church, <laughs> in most of the world. And that is the experience of waiting to be asked to lead and to take greater responsibility, feeling maybe that they might do a good job, wanting to contribute, but waiting to be noticed, waiting to be asked to do something other than the domestic side of church or the children or the women's groups, and often mostly serving really faithfully in those arenas because they're really important and we women know they're really important and God blesses them. And what I've seen and also experienced is that God definitely grows our character and our gifting through waiting, often through frustration and times when what we really hope for or long for is actually thwarted or even snatched away. And God uses those experiences to realign our hearts and our minds and gets us to kind of sift through our priorities all over again. Where does my identity and my value lie? What do I think of God and how he works? Who do I know God to be? Do I know that he's always 100% fully, fully for me, whatever I'm going through? loving me and wanting the best for me and always on my side. Women have waited. Women have waited for the church to wake up, to wake up to the blindness that's led the church to see a woman's place as just under male leadership. Not really recognizing that God trusts women. God trusts women. Well, he trusts them as much as he trusts men. <laughs> Which is kind of a big risk, we all know. Because we're all flawed. God takes outrageous risks in choosing human beings to partner with him. But he trusts women. He made them alongside men in his image with all the attributes and potential and gifts to become heirs of grace with men, co-heirs with men, and most importantly, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And this is what we're celebrating today, is the recognition of that truth. While women wait, they pray, and they often doubt. Maybe I shouldn't seek leadership. Maybe it's pride or vanity and I should just push it down, expunge it. And I want to say this morning, don't. 
Don't push it down. Keep asking and seeking and knocking to be put in the place where God will use you best. And don't fear that you're seeking a vain thing. If you are, God's quite capable of knocking it out of you. <laughs> He's very good at doing that, and he'll sort you out. I think this is why in 1 Timothy we read, if anyone aspires to be a bishop or an overseer, that's a good thing, a noble task, he says, a word of affirmation, which I want to speak over you today. It's a good thing that is happening here today. And in healthy churches, and this is one of them, it isn't individuals who elevate themselves to leadership. It's a church who appoints them. This church has recognized that these women have the character and the gifting to fulfill this role. It's a community decision. It's not because these women have pushed themselves forward or clamored for leadership. They've humbled themselves under God's mighty hand and he has lifted them up. But what's he lifting them up to? In Peter's letter, he addresses the elders directly and he uses exactly that word. We don't really know what an elder was though. We don't exactly know what they did in the apostolic church, but clearly they had a leadership and a responsible role. They carried others. And it may be that Peter is talking about the same thing that we read about in 1 Timothy, where we read about bishops, because in our passage, he uses the same word in verse 2 that's a kind of similar word about exercising oversight. So I believe there are some similarities with what the elders at Imago Dei are called to and what Peter is speaking of here. In 1 Timothy, we read about the characters of elders, and I'm sure that the women have been attentive to that and the community has been attentive to the characters of your elders. But here in 1 Peter, we read about the gifting and the calling of an elder as one who tends the flock. Peter speaks about the elder as a shepherd, and it's not really surprising that Peter picks out this one picture, this one image of the elder as a shepherd, because this would have been so close to his heart. Peter, who is questioned by Jesus on the beach when Jesus is resurrected, and he asks him three times, do you love me? And after each time, he says to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep feed my sheep. So Peter has taken this prophetic calling and he's understood that if you want to serve in the church, you're walking in the footsteps of the great shepherd. The calling of the shepherd that Jesus had taught them about and modeled to them all along. So who better than Peter to know how vulnerable these little sheep are, how prey they are to the destruction that the enemy can bring. And yet the good shepherd has his constant eye on the sheep. They're his sheep. Remember the lost sheep who the shepherd goes out to find, the prodigal son 
We tell them as stories of conversion, which also applies, but they're stories about the insiders. They're stories about the flock, the people who are in the family, who then get lost or rebel or drift off. And the shepherd finds them and brings them back. So you elders have a flock under your care. And like the good shepherd, you're called to lay down your lives for your sheep. I don't think Peter, or Jesus for that matter, thinks it's a particularly glamorous calling. It's a sacrificial calling, carrying others, praying for them, interceding for them, bearing their burdens. We don't suffer here in the West from persecution in the way that many of our brothers and sisters do, but if we did, it would be the leaders, it's always the leaders who are persecuted first. And that's why Peter talks about suffering in this context. Leadership and caring for others always has some element of suffering, as all church leaders know, but it's also joyful and glorious seeing others flourish and rejoicing and raising others up to become what they're meant to be, creating safe places for people to play in a kingdom way, interceding for others. It's a great privilege. And so Peter talks about the calling as one that we enter into cheerfully or readily or eagerly, not under compulsion. I don't really know exactly what he means there. I don't know what would have been the compulsion to become an elder in that time. But I think there's a way that it kind of applies today. And that's that I want to say to the women who are becoming elders today, you're not obliged to take up this calling because you are women. You're not carrying the weight of every woman on this planet <laughs> and trying to fulfill something. You're not doing this to serve an agenda. And I know you know that, but I think it's worth saying. You're taking up this role because you love the Lord and you love your church and because you and those around you recognize your gifts and your calling as a shepherd and you're doing it eagerly and joyfully and readily. And so Peter says, don't lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. It's not an elevation, it's not lording it over others. It's a servant and a serving position. Jesus talks to his disciples about this in Luke 22, 24 to 30, at the Passover when his childish disciples are arguing about who's gonna be the greatest, who's the greatest. And of course, Peter would have been there then and probably in the argument, perhaps hoping it was gonna be him. And Luke uses a similar word here about lording it over others. The kings of the Gentiles, says Jesus, lord it over them, but you are not to be like that, not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Well, obviously, the one at the table. And then he says, I am the one, I am among you as the one who serves.
Jesus could have taken his position at the head of the table and everybody would have served him, washed his feet, brought him food, looked after him, and instead he gets up from the table and he washes their feet and he serves them and he does the same for us. And so Peter takes that picture and he says, be examples, types, people to copy. That's what he's talking about. Behaving in ways that are so like Jesus that if people copy you, they'll become like him. Paul has the same idea. I find it the most daunting thing as a Christian leader to read things like that. People watch and they copy. Surely that is what keeps us humble. If nothing keeps us humble, that should, I think, knowing that other people will copy our examples. It means that we need to be ruthlessly honest about our faults and our failings. Don't try to hide them because they're going to come out anyway. Being honest keeps us humble. We can't do everything. We can't please everyone. We can't be flawless or sinless or never hurt anyone or never be foolish. All leaders do those things. But we can say sorry. That's the best example of a Christian leader, one who says sorry, I'm not perfect. Sorry, I hurt you. Sorry, we haven't been able to solve this problem yet. And elders are called to model that humility. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with others. Clothe yourselves. It's an intentional act. Put on the coat of humility when you're annoyed and frustrated and you know you're right and you're tempted to have a fight. You put on your coat of humility and you go in and you listen. And God will lift you up. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. And cast all your anxiety onto him. Cast all your anxiety onto him. And I do want to say that to the elders today. You'll be so tempted to hold on to the anxiety and to carry it and to try and fix things. But get into the habit, the spiritual discipline of casting your cares and your anxiety onto God. Learn the discipline of letting God guard your heart and your mind with the peace of God that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to have peace when the world is in turmoil. It doesn't make sense to have peace when there's a pandemic, when we're suffering, when we're worried. But it's a peace that passes understanding. It's one that stands as a guard over our hearts and our minds. It's not our peace, it's God's peace that is external to us. We don't have to make ourselves feel that. It's something he can give us 
as a gift. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the arch shepherd. And actually this is his flock. He's over everything that happens here. And so what Peter is really saying is don't stay awake worrying, stay awake praying. Stay alert, stay alert, because we have an enemy who is prowling. Peter paints a horrible picture of the devil as a predator. We used to live in Africa in the 90s, and we have friends here today who were in Africa with us in the 90s. And we saw lions. Um, I'd only seen lions in a zoo. And they are powerful creatures, and their roar is frightening. And Peter paints a frightening picture of the devil who is a predator, roaring and prowling, not sleeping, waiting. I remember one time we went to a game park and I had a, one of our little ones in a push chair. I was pushing him along and there was this big wire fence and right behind the fence just a couple of feet away was a hyena and as I walked along this hyena just followed and just watched my little boy the whole time and I thought Oof. you know I thought I'm very glad there's a fence between me and you but you elders are that fence you're the fence so that people can push their little ones in safety. Just guarding, guarding your flock from the enemy, the good shepherd, laying down so that others can move and walk and play in safety. Resist him yourselves and resist him on behalf of others as you pray. And God will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. They're just four amazing verbs. These are in my NRSV. Restore, support, strengthen, and establish. It's a wonderful picture of what God will do for those who serve his church. You know, a lot of people talk about burnout in the church, don't they, of people who have tried hard to serve and they just end up so mashed up. That's not what God wants for his people. He wants us to be in places that are so healthy and so full of the Spirit and so loving and so caring. And so you, as the flock, need to appreciate and be grateful for those who have chosen to serve you. And your support of them will serve God's agenda to restore them as they serve, so they end up better and stronger and more full of the Spirit and more healed. Support them, strengthen them, and establish them. And you will be doing the work of God for them as they are doing the work of God for you. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. 
God will support you as a church and as a leadership team. You can lean on him for absolutely everything. God will strengthen you. Paul talks about being strengthened in your inner being, your inner core, the place where we need to be strengthened. And he will establish you. He will build your foundations deep down and he will keep you firm as you serve him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we rejoice today in all that you're doing. We rejoice in the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit. We rejoice in your church. We rejoice in everything that you're forming. We would rejoice with these women who have committed themselves to serve. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as the good shepherd, the arch shepherd, the best shepherd, that you would shepherd this flock, that you would bless them, that you would grow them, that you would bring them to fresh and new pastures, that you would bring them to places to drink, that you would give them rest when they need it, that you would protect them. We pray, Father God, that you would prosper the work of, they, of their hands as they serve you in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.